Masechet Gitin, Daf Yod Bet. Today is about the topic that we started to talk about yesterday, of HaTofes Leba'al Chov, Ba'amakom Shechav La'acharim. If someone goes and seizes property, let's say from a borrower, on behalf of the lender to pay him back. Um, is that a valid transaction or not? We got onto this because it's similar to this case of a messenger who, um, the uh, master, gives the messenger a document to free the slave, and the master receives it on behalf of the slave, and by doing that, um, is kind of like seizing it, because even if the master changes his mind, says, no, I don't want to, says the, mess- the messenger says, sorry, I already got it on behalf of the slave, and therefore he goes free. And so therefore, in a way, he's seizing it, and it's uh, preventing the uh, master from having the ability to take it back. And uh, so that is the similarities acting kind of like a third party. Uh, we ended up saying yesterday, actually, it's different there because he actually gave it to him. Uh, so then the master is authorizing the uh, s- the messenger to receive it on behalf of the slave. So that was not the exact case. But now that we mentioned this topic, we're going to analyze it in depth. And here is the machloket. The question of whether um, a third party can seize assets on behalf of the someone who it's owed to, even if it will be to the detriment of other people, like if the borrower owes many people, A, B, and C. And I go and I take money from the borrower and give it to A. Well, but now there won't be any money left for B and C. So is that a valid transaction? Or can B and, come, B and C come and say, hey, you weren't allowed to do that. Not only do you took it from the borrower, you took it basically from us because now we won't be able to have anything to collect from. Well, the answer to whether that's a valid transaction, if it's a valid transaction, A keeps it. If it's an invalid transaction, court says, sorry, you got to give it back and then it will be split up, uh, you know, d- divided um, in whatever way it's fair to divide. Um, okay, so this depends on Machloket of Abiyelizin Abanan in a similar case. Ditnan. Misha liketa tapeava mar harezo lifloni ani. Mishnan pea teaches if someone goes to a corner of, of a field, that's pea, that's designated for the poor. Now, this person himself is not poor, but he says, listen, I have a friend who is poor, so I'm going to do a favor for him. I'm going to go and I'm going to take some grain here and on behalf of my friend. Uh, in some way, it's similar to, we have Shavuot coming up now, Ruth um, takes for herself, she is poor, that's fine. She also takes on behalf of Naomi, her mother-in-law. And so, is that allowed? She's taking on behalf of someone else. So, yes, that's fine. Uh, whether it's both poor or even if a rich person takes it on behalf of a poor person, that's fine. Right? He's being an intermediary. Uh, but he's uh, taking on behalf of someone who deserves to get it. Chachamim say, no, it's not good. Why? Because in this case, when he takes uh, this uh, grain for his friend, the poor person, he's taking it away from B, C, D, and E, all the other poor people who now will not have access to it. So, yes, he's giving it to someone who's deserving, but also reducing the amount for other people that are also deserving. A poor person himself can take uh, whatever he needs, but a rich person cannot come and take on behalf of a poor person, to the detriment of other people. So you see that the machlok depends on the Chachamim would say, 
that he cannot do it. That, that's why when he actually took it for his friend, he did not acquire it. It's an invalid transaction. And so it belongs to any poor person. So he should give it to the first poor, poor person that he sees. He says, listen, I have this pe'ah. doesn't belong to me. Um, you can have it. Whereas Abi Eliezer says he merits it and it, it's a valid transaction and his friend, the poor friend, will in fact uh, get it. So Abi Eliezer thinks that yes, Tofes uh, Balchob, Makom Shechab Lacharim, and Chamim say not so. But now we say not necessarily. The two cases actually are different. Adkan lo kamar bi Eli Ezer hatam ela demigo de iba el mafkal lehu nechse habehave ani vechazelo vechazile umigo de zachile nafshes zachile chabre aval hacha la. In fact, Rabbi Eli Ezer only permits the fr- the rich person to take because of amigo, since if the rich person wanted to, he could have declared all of his proper property ownerless. And uh, then he would be poor and he would be able to take it for himself. Um, now, since he can get it in a legal way for himself, therefore, even if he doesn't actually go through the process and make his, all his property have care, he can, uh, he can still has the, has the, has the, has the right to take it for his friend, right? Since he can do it as a poor person legally for himself. So therefore he can also do it for his friend. Whereas in the case of the, of the creditor, that's not so, right? I can't make myself a, uh, uh, I, I, I can't make myself owed money from this borrower. The borrower doesn't owe me any money, and so I can't do anything to make him owe, owe me money. And therefore, I'm not allowed to go and take money from the borrower for Mr. A at the detriment of B and C. So the cases are fundamentally different. And even Nabi Eliezer basically would say that you cannot um, uh, take something on behalf of someone else if it will be to the detriment of someone else. And also the other way around, we can argue. Maybe Rabbanan actually think that you can, in general, in the case of the borrower, I could take money from the borrower and give it to A, even at the detriment of B and C. But in the case of Pe'ah, you cannot because of A Gezerah Takatuf. You see, the Pasuk says, You, the farmer, you are not allowed to uh, harvest or the, your entire field. Rather, next phrase, you have to leave it for the poor and the stranger. Okay, so that's what we put on the butt. Uh, Rabbanan are putting the uh, comma in a different place. They're reading this together. You, a farmer or rich person, you are not allowed to gather on behalf of the poor person. Um, so here we have a pasuk that says only poor people can go and take. A rich person cannot take on behalf of the poor person for pe'ah, even though in other cases of a borrower or other cases where I want to benefit someone uh, without his, uh, uh, want to benefit someone as a third party, it would be okay according to Rabbanan. Good. But Rabbi Eliezer, hi, lo telaket, my avile. So now Rabbi Eliezer, what is he going to do with that, that pasuk, lo telaket? Now the truth is that the atnach goes on, lo te, farmer, lo telaket, right? Kama. So it really doesn't have to do anything with it. 
But once we're reading it this way, without the tamim, so how could he interpret it? Ah, uh, this is t- teaching that if a poor person is also a farm owner, he's poor, but maybe he has a little farm, and it, 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 uh, he gets something from it. Uh, he, the a poor person, has to leave pe'ah also for other poor people. Even though we saw this earlier, even a poor person has, has to give tzedakah, even the or a poor person has to leave a pe'ah for someone else, even if he himself is receiving tzedakah, because his farm maybe only takes, only grows a little bit. So that's what it says, right? You're, you're the farmer, you cannot take it, even if you're poor yourself. That's what Rabbi Eliezer will learn from it. All right, so now that we, uh, uh, so that, that, that machloket in Pe'ah is not relevant uh, to, uh, is not necessarily relevant, um, and uh, so we, we don't know um, if Chachamim and Rabbi Eliezer in Pe'ah do not necessarily agree with the, um, line up with the machloket here. Okay, now Mishnah says, shelo lazun." According to Chachamim, there is a distinction between a get isha and get shechrur avadim. Uh, that if a husband sends a get and then uh, wants to take it back, he can, um, but not so with get shechrur. Once he gives it, it goes. Why? What's the fundamental difference? Because uh, for his wife, if he um, the husband has to feed his wife no matter what, and therefore. It's a benefit for the wife to have that know that she has her food taken care of her no matter what. Whereas a master does not have to feed his servant, um, and uh, therefore it's always going to be better for the servant to go free because he's not getting anything, no guaranteed legal benefit uh, from uh, being a servant. Okay, so now based on that, we want to try to learn a different law. Must be that we can derive from this Mishnah that a master can tell a servant, you have to work for me and I'm not feeding you. Now, we're not as sure what the answer to this question is. Can a master say this or not? Um, we're going to try to prove from this Mishnah that yes, in fact, he can because the Mishnah says, uh, So this seems to be a good proof. Uh, but then we reject it. No, we're talking about a case where the master says to the slave, listen, I'm not feeding you. You're going to work and whatever you make, use it to sustain yourself, right? You're the, you're the servant. You're going to go and do some whatever you're doing. Uh, you're going to weave, weaving. And so you're going to uh, sell, uh, make uh, and produce $50,000 worth of uh, goods. So you will, you go and sell it yourself and buy your own food. So that's what it's talking about. A master can say that you be self-sustaining, uh, but he cannot tell, he cannot say, give me your wages and I'm not um, feeding you. Uh, so that's what we're talking about here in this Mishnah. When he says, I'm not feeding you, you keep your wages. Now we say, hold on. If that's true, then that would be the same for a wife. Okay. We're going to be going back and forth comparing a wife to a slave. Not because they're the same. They're fundamentally different in many, many ways. Um, but the Mishnah already compared and contrasted the two. And so they have to be parallel cases. So whatever you say is the scenario when regarding one has to be the same scenario regarding the other for it to make sense. And so that would mean that it's the same would be true for the husband and wife case. It must be that for a husband can also, he has the right to tell his wife, listen, you have a job, uh, so keep your, keep your salary and you f- go feed yourself.
And so uh, a wife can say that. And since that's true, then uh, in the case of a wife, why can he not do so? Because the Mishnah did contrast them and say it's different and that a husband cannot say, has to feed his wife. Um, and therefore it's uh, not going to be good for her uh, to go free necessarily, to not free, to be divorced necessarily. Um, and so it made a contrast between them. But if it's talking about a case where he says, keep your food and, um, and, and your earnings, or keep your earnings and pay for yourself, well then the, the law should be the same for a slave and for a wife. And so we answer, Isha bidela safka. No, we're talking about a case where the woman is not making enough to feed herself. She's only making $40,000, but she needs $50,000 a year to, for her uh, food and expenses. And therefore, um, uh, the, uh, th therefore um, th the husband has to guarantee in that case that he's going to take care of her um, and make up the difference. And so that's why it's not necessarily bad for a wife to, um, uh, to remain married. Okay, and now, Okay, if that's the case, we're talking about where the wife doesn't have make enough to cover her food expenses, then it would have to be the same law for a slave, that he also is not working enough to cover his food expenses, and that means that the um, master can say, here, you keep your earnings, and if it's not enough, too bad, right? Because the Mishnah said he doesn't have to provide for him. So this would be a proof that the master, in fact, can say, you work and I'm not providing for you. And we say, no, that's impossible to be the case. If his slave is not worth the bread that he consumes, then what good is he for his master or his mistress? And there's no such thing as a slave. No one would keep a slave that costs more than it uh, than it produces. And so, by definition, if there's a slave and he's he's there, he still has a job. He's still um, um, with this family. Then they uh, didn't didn't uh, uh, free him. It means that he's producing more. So there's no such thing as a case, and that's why. Um, and uh, the, the Mishnah is talking about a case where they tell the slave, "Listen, uh, you keep your earnings, and I'm not feeding you." And it must be a case where it's a, it's sufficient to fulfill. It. Otherwise, he wouldn't be kept as a slave in the first place. And that's what the Mishnah is talking about. So we cannot prove from this Mishnah that a master has a right to not feed a slave and and take it and take take the slave's earnings and not feed him. There is no proof. Now the contrast with the wife is that yeah, in the case of a wife, it is possible that a wife will not make a sufficient um, amount to cover her her own expenses, um, but would still be a wife because there's uh, um, that makes sense. In fact, that's uh, happens often. Um, that uh, um, a wife either makes uh, less or maybe doesn't work at all and is a stay-at-home mom, which is also a full-time job and even harder than most jobs, even though she's not getting paid for it uh, monetarily. And a husband will be very happy to have such a wife because they have they love each other and they want to raise a family together um, and all the other reasons why people would stay married. It's not a financial commitment. It's not dependent on her um, keep making her keep. Uh, it's dependent on an entire family structure. So they that's how it's fun. This is one of the ways in which uh, slavery is fundamentally different from marriage, and one should never confuse the two. Okay, so uh, uh, from that, there's no proof from there 
that a master can um, withhold food from his slave. But we're going to try another proof. Tashema. Evet shegalal miklat en rabo hayav lezuno velo od ela shemaseyadav lerabo. This is a tosefta. It's a brayta. Um, it's uh, pretty long. We're not going to see. We're going to learn it piecemeal. So we're going to see each part as it comes. So the first part says that a slave, let's say he killed someone by mistake, and so he has to go to irmiklat. The master does not have to give him food, and not only that, whatever he does, he gets a job there in the Ir Miklat, he'll do some farming there, whatever he makes, the master gets. Ah, here we have a case where a master can tell the slave, you uh, work, give me your earnings, and I'm not feeding you. So yes, he can do that. Is that a good proof? No. Maybe here also, it's implied, it doesn't say explicitly, but we can imply that the master said, you keep your earnings and pay for your own food, right? But not that he can, he can not, not that he can take the earnings and not feed him. Okay. Wait a second, but it's actually said explicitly, um, not only that, but also his salary goes to the master. So why, uh, why, why are you saying that the salary goes to the master if he says you can keep your salary? Oh, we're talking about the surplus. If the, um, uh, uh, if the servant needs $50,000 for food and he makes $60,000, then he keeps $50,000 to spend on food and the extra surplus $10,000 he will send to the master. That's what it's talking about. Now we ask, of course he does. Why would anyone think that the surplus, the slave can keep the surplus, right? You don't even have to say that if that's what it's talking about. Oh, because you might think when he doesn't have enough work, let's say there's a day that he doesn't get work that day and um, the master's not going to give him food, so too to balance it out. When uh, when he has a surplus, he should also keep the surplus um, to make up the difference. Uh, that's why I might have thought that the uh, ma- the slave can keep an ex- excess of what he earned. So kamash malan. That's why the brat has to come and say, no, it doesn't work that way. Um, if there is surplus, he goes to the master. Okay. So uh, in the end, here there is no proof because it's not a case where the master says. You give me your money and feed yourself. No, he says, keep your money and feed yourself. Now, wait a second. There's something we're missing about this case because why is it important now to know that he killed someone by mistake and went to Ir Miklat? It could be any case. It would be the same thing. Even if he's home and he didn't do anything wrong, he would, the master could also make this deal with him. Because I might have thought since the Pasuk regarding Ir Miklat, uh, says means you have to the person has to be able to live live well and so maybe I, I might have thought that the master has to really go extra and give him give him um, give him something uh, and uh, extra more than more than what he earns. Um, so therefore, Kamash Malan, that's why it says, even if he goes to Irmiklat, uh, the master is not obligated to him any more than as if he is home.
he just has to give him the 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 basic his basic needs um or if he if he says you give him you keep your earnings um and feed yourself so they're your basic needs any surplus would, would have to go to the master so that's why it's talking about it to say even there the surplus goes to the master now hold on we didn't quote to you the entire but there's the next part and here this but also compares and contrasts a slave to a wife. Again, not because they're the same, but actually because they're different. Um, a wife um, who uh, she killed by mistake and she goes to the Ir Miklat, uh, the husband has to feed her. And so it must be talking about a case where he did not, the husband did not say the formula, hey, you work and keep your earnings because um, if he if he did say the formula, then why does the husband have to feed her? It says Bala Zonoteha. The husband has to feed her. It must be that he is he did not say a formula. And the two cases have to be parallel. So if in the case of the wife, he did not say the formula that you keep your earnings, rather, no, she did, she's not she's not making money, or the husband is taking your earnings, and yes, he has to provide for her, then it must be true also in the Resha, where it says that the master does not have to feed the the servant and he still gets his earnings um because he didn't say the formula so there's no deal and therefore this is a good proof that um once we add the sefa in here now from the resha is a good proof that a master can tell the slave you work for me give me your earnings and i don't have to feed you um we say no not necessarily no it could be both cases are talking about where he said the formula the resha he said you keep your earnings and feed yourself. So there's no proof from the Resha that a master can do that. And in this Efa, the husband uh, does say the formula. And nevertheless, the Baraita uh, says that he has to provide for her because she's not making enough to cover her needs. She needs 50000 She's only making 40000 And so the husband has to provide the uh, the extra. Um, good. Wait, we didn't quote the entire Tosefta yet. There is yet another line after that, that if the husband says, you keep your earnings and you buy your food, he's allowed to do that. Oh, so this is a third case. We see if that's the third case, that means the previous case, previous two cases with the slave and the wife is when he did not say a formula. And therefore, since it's, he didn't say the formula, and yet it says by the slave that uh, you don't have to feed you. So you see a husband, uh, a master can tell a slave, I get your earnings and I don't have to feed you. Right? Isn't that a good proof? No, um, if her earnings suffice her, then he can say that, um, and he wants to say, you keep your earnings for your food, he's allowed. But really, the previous cases are also when he says the formula. It's just that the previous cases are when she was not making enough. And so that's why he has to provide for her. And the last case is, oh, if she is making enough, then he says, listen, I'm not going to provide for you anything. You um, keep your own salary. We ask, Maspeket, Mailememra, wait a second, if she is making enough for herself, then isn't it obvious, the, the third clause, why would you need to say it at all? Of course, the husband can say, here, you making enough? 
So keep your earnings and feed yourself. Now the tema because I might have thought that since we have a principle that the glory of a king's daughter was is within the palace, meaning that it's not improper in those days, improper for a, for a, a woman to go out too much. And if she's going to have to make money, she's going to have to go to the marketplace and be in public, be interacting with. Um, all kinds of people and so we might think we might say that the husband cannot demand of his wife to go out and uh, out and work because uh, we he, she can say no I, I, I don't want to um, and so or she he shouldn't be allowed to uh, to uh, demand that his wife go out and work and therefore Kamashmalan that that is not the case um, a husband can say listen you're very capable you go out and work and um, uh, and find a job you keep your earnings and feed yourself and so it was it is within the rights and um, we were not going to tell him no no your, your wife has to stay at home she can go and work okay so that's a good proof that women are allowed to go work and earn a salary okay now so there's no proof from either of the those to the Mishnah or that Braita and now we're going to try a different tack we're going to try to say maybe this question of whether a master can withhold food from his slave is subject to a Tanerik Machloket. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel Omer, Yachol HaEved Lomad Larabo B'Shne Basoret, Ofar Neseni Ohosi Eni Lecherut, Hachim Omerim HaRashut Be'yadom, If you have a year of a, a time of famine, there's no food, there's no lack of food, so a servant can go tell his master, either feed me or set me free. You can't keep me as a slave and not feed me, right? So we see from here that is Rabban Shimon and Gamliel um, that he has to be fed. And the rabbis say the master has permission to keep him as a slave and not feed him, right? So sorry, there's not enough food for you. So So it seems that they are arguing about this very question, um, where the, uh, the the rabbis, the second one, say that a master can, um, and even in a regular circumstance, it happens to be a year of famine, because that's where it's more likely that they would come to such a, such, such a situation. Uh, but in principle, the rabbis say, a master can tell his slave, you fend for yourself, um, go feed yourself, and you still have to work, and whatever you earn is mine. Whereas a bunch of Gamaliel says, a master does not have a right to do that. He has to provide food for his uh, servant, and if he doesn't, then the servant says, servant says Give me food or release me. Betis bera, hold on. Does it really, does the language really match up? Hi, often a seni ohosi, any lecherut, often say oten lima seyadai bepanasati. If the language isn't right, because Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel says, either give me food or set me free. But actually, that's not, that's not, that shouldn't be the language. It should say, either give me food or let me keep my salary, right? It should have said. The point is, um, if that's what Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel was saying um, that um, it, its uh, master has to feed the, the slave, then it should have said, you have to feed me either with food or with my salary, right? The going free is, uh, is irrelevant. Uh, to this law. Let me buy this. So since it says either feed me or go free, right? So it means that Rabban Shimon Ben Gamliel is talking about a different matter. And furthermore, why does it have to talk about, why does it bother talking about a year of famine? If this would be, this would be true in any year that Rabban Shimon Gamliel says he cannot say that, um, that, that, that he has to feed him or, or else. And, um, 
He has to feed him one way or another. And Chachamim say, uh, no, I don't have to feed you. What, what does it matter if it's a, if it's a year of Basodet? According to, according to your uh, equivalence, then Chachamim would say, even not in a year of famine. So therefore, this doesn't make sense that this is what they're arguing. Rather, it's talking about a case where he said, the, the master said the formula, keep your earnings and buy your own food. But since it's a time of famine, there's not enough, right? There's not enough work, and his earnings uh, do not cover his expenses. That's what so it's talking about a case. That's what it's talking about. Um, not, a, not a normal case. Could be everyone agrees that the master can tell him that. And even though the, the, the servant is, there's not enough work uh, around, he says, listen, you are on your own. Fine, the servant says, I'll be on my own. I'll keep my salary. I'll do my best. But it's not sufficient. So therefore, you should, you, I demand that you either give me my full amount or free me. Why? So that I can go and beg and people will have mercy on me. People are more likely to have mercy and give charity to a free person who's kind of like them than to a slave who's lower class and it's easier to forget about the slave and so free me so that i can be a better beggar and get what i need and rabbanan say no actually uh, anyone who would, who would be kind enough to give to a free person will also be kind-hearted enough to give mercy uh, to have mercy and give money to a slave and therefore it's not going to help the slave to go free in order to be a better beggar um, and um, and so that's what the Machloket is about. It's really about the human psychology of do people give more generously to free people or equally generously to free people and to slaves. And so this is what the Machloket is about, but actually it has nothing to do um, with the, the, the Machloket. does not parallel to the question of can a master in general uh, withhold money uh, and food from his slave. Okay, and now uh, one last uh, attempt to uh, solve this problem. Tashema. So Rav said that someone consecrates the hands of his slave. So I'm still, I still own the slave myself, but anything that he produces um, is consecrated to the Bet Hamikdash immediately. Right? He makes, uh, he sews uh, one. Uh, one shirt, and that's it. It uh, belongs to the uh, to the Bet Hamikdash. Um, okay, so what is he going to do? How's that person? Uh, how's he going to eat? Um, is he, he can't he can't eat from the Bet Hamikdash because that's hekdesh. Um, so this slave will borrow borrow from someone else money to eat, and then he will buy food and eat, and then he will uh, do work and he'll pay repay the what he borrowed through his work. Like if he uh, works well, if he works for the person he borrowed from, um, that way, whenever he's working, the first, let's say he borrowed $10 to eat, um, and uh, the, so he, the first $10 worth of work that he does will go to the person he's working for to repay the debt. And then if he makes more during the day, he makes $15, so the other $5 will be hikdesh. That's what the Rav said. 
What can we learn? We can learn from Rav's ruling here that a master can tell his, don't confuse Rav with Harav, right? Rav also just means a master of a slave. Um, so a master can tell his servant, yes, uh, go and work. I get the money and I'm not feeding you. Where do you see that from here? Well, uh, someone only has a right to consecrate that which he himself owns. So um, here the master is consecrating the pro the production of his servants. That means he owns the production of his servants. So he is consecrating that. And yet we see the master seems to not have any uh, care about how the slave uh, eats because the slave has to go out on his own, borrow money, figure out some way to get food, um, he can't get it from the Mikdash. He has to borrow first and then get get food and buy, pay back later. So it seems the servant is, uh, in fact, on his own for food. So you see, a master can say, your earnings are mine and I'm not giving you food. And we answer, no. No, who says the master is not providing him? Maybe the master is providing him uh, food. If so, if the master is providing food, why does he say he has to borrow and buy food? Oh, we're talking about extra. The master is providing him only base, base minimum. You know, 800 calories a day. He can just, just survive. So he wants to get more. He wants to get a little dessert. He wants to get a snack. He wants to get a coffee. And so he's going to go and borrow some money so that he can buy those extra things. And then um, he'll uh, he'll pay back through his work. Hold on, the temple treasurer, right? He can come to the slave and says, wait, so all your work, it belongs to me. And so therefore, this until now, until you were consecrated, right? It was a, you didn't have this surplus and you were okay. So now also, uh, you, this, you don't need that extra dessert and that extra coffee. You can survive just with what the master is giving. And therefore, you have no right to take it from the temple treasury because any of that work that you're using to pay back the borrower is not going to the temple treasury. So we answer No, the temple treasurer would not say that because it's actually good for the temple treasury to, for the slave to have a little extra so that he will work better, right? You're going to, what, you're losing out on the, on the, you know, $1 for coffee or $5, you know, a Starbucks coffee. It's worth it because the slave will be more productive. He'll have some more extra calories um, and he'll be stronger. And that will be actually good for him and for the work that he does. And so in the end, actually, the temple treasurer will, be say, will say fine, but is in fact talking about a case where the master is providing at least basic food. And so in the end, we had three different attempts, but there is no uh, answer. There's no proof that uh, from any of these that a master has a right to withhold food from his servant. Now, the rest of the daf is going to bring two successful uh, proofs. One on the side that a master cannot withhold food and uh, the, then the, on the other side that a master can withhold food from his servant. So the first proof is actually going to be from Rav himself comparing the ruling that we just saw, analyzing it a bit, and then we're going to uh, compare it with another ruling of Rav, which is a little different from the one that we just saw. So, so first the question is, when this uh, servant um, so his master dedicated all of his um, um, uh, uh, servant, all of his uh, labor to the Mikdash. Fine. So how is he going to eat? 
so we said, okay, it's talking about a case where the master is providing him basic things, uh, but then he wants to add, he have a cup of coffee, have a little more. So he borrows uh, from someone, and then he, pay, he buys food with that money, and then he'll pay back. The question is, how is that going to work? If he wants to pay back, let's say he's stitching things. So every time he stitches something, he makes some money. Well, that money is going to be immediately consecrated. So he can never uh, possibly uh, pay back the loan. The answer is, When he's working, each act that he does is worth less than a piruta. Let's say he's stitching. How much is one stitch worth? Less than a penny. You can't even count it. Therefore, something only becomes hegdesh once it reaches a value of a peduta. You can't donate anything less than a peduta. Therefore, uh, what he does is he makes one stitch. Oh, that will be to pay back my loan. One stitch to pay back my loan. And that's how he can circumvent the hegdesh and give the money to the loan. And this makes sense that, yes, it's talking about such a case. Um, and uh, what we said so far, the master is providing sustenance to him. And that way, that's why he has to do this workaround. Uh, because Rav also said, that someone who um, who consecrates the work of his servant, that servant has to go and work and eat. Because, this is still Raf speaking, if he does not work and pay for his own food, who is going to serve him? Nobody will want to serve him. The Mikdash cannot serve him because they can't give him consecrated food. And nobody else is going to serve him because... If he tries, if he gets the job, everything he works for, everything he produces goes to the Mikdash. And so he can't, he can't make any money to, uh, big, to pay, uh, to, uh, to, um, uh, to give to someone else. If he tries to make something um, and pay uh, someone who is giving him food, then he gets the food and he can't pay it. Now, now, how can we explain the difference between the first statement of Rav and the second one of Rav? Because in the first statement of Rav, he has to borrow first and then he can do a thing and he can pay back uh, less than a peruta, less than a peruta. Uh, through each, each act of work is paying him back. <clears throat> And that's how he can do it. But in the second statement, um, Rav said, no, he just works and then he, he earns money and then he can buy food with the money like a regular person and his work is not consecrated. So how can we explain the difference? Ah, here's how we can explain it. The first case is talking about where the, the uh, master is giving him a basic amount of food. And therefore, the master has a right to the servant's handiwork um, because that's a good deal, right? You're allowed to make that deal. Here, you, um, I'm giving you food. I get your handiwork because I get your handiwork. I have a right to consecrate it because it's consecrated. If you want to buy some extra things, then you have to borrow and pay back with your a little bit of work each action. Um, and that will assume that a master cannot uh, withhold food from his servant, right? And that's why we had to say that it's talking about a case where he is, in fact, providing food. That was all the first statement, as we already um, discussed. The second statement is where um, the master is not giving him food. Oh, if he's not giving him food, and he's not allowed to withhold food, so the master is in a breach of, of the law of his responsibility, 
Therefore, the handiwork of the servant does not belong to the master because he's not providing food, and the master cannot withhold food and um, uh, and and take his handiwork. Therefore, when the master dedicates his handiwork to the mikdash, it doesn't work. Um, the because he, he cannot you cannot not make hikdash something that you don't own since the master is not feeding him. Therefore, his handiwork is not go does not go to the bet mikdash. Therefore, the servant can work, keep his earnings, buy his own food. And so the two statements of Rav make sense with the assumption that the rule is that a master cannot withhold food from his slave and take his earnings. Because try it the other way around. If you say that the first case, again, is talking about where the master withhold, um, uh, where the master is not giving food, and yes, he can not give food, right? And that's okay. And that means in the second case also, he is withholding food, and he has a right to do so. Um, uh, then and 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 all the mess and all the servants' handiwork will be to the Beta Mikdash. So then, so what? The, the the this statement that I've said. Well, if he doesn't work for himself, who's going to provide for him? Is not uh, is not, is not a uh, convincing argument because if his work really all goes to the mikdash and the and the, the the master has a right to do that because the master can say I'm not feeding you and you I still own your handiwork. So then he has a right to consecrate it. If his work is consecrated, then even if there is a concern, well, who's going to provide for him? It doesn't mean you can violate. Uh, well, that was just consecrated. He still can't take earnings that belong to the mikdash and go buy food with it, right? So there's no there's no uh, workaround. Um, he can't. He, he he still can't do that. He has to use a workaround. He has to do little by little, borrow first and little by little. The only solution would be the first one. So we have no way to explain the second statement of Rav under that assumption. And therefore, rather it must be according to Rav, uh, master does not have a right to withhold food and demand his serve his servants earnings and that explains the two statements in the first one he is providing food so he does own the uh, uh the servants uh, um, earnings and therefore he can dedicate the earnings to the mikdash and therefore the servant if he wants to buy something extra has to borrow and pay back um stitch by stitch whereas in the second statement that's where the master did not provide food and therefore does not own his earnings, and when he can, therefore he cannot consecrate the earnings to the mikdash, and therefore the ma- the slave owns his own handiwork, and he can just go and uh, work and buy food normally. And so we do have a proof um, for um, in that direction that a master has to feed his slave. But now we're going to show that was Rav. But now we're going to show that Biochanan actually thinks the opposite. Tashima. Tamar Biochanan, Nakote Yad Avdoshel Chavero, Noten Shibtor Fuato Lerabo, Vato Ebed Nizon Min Hasedaka. So Biochanan has a case where someone goes and cuts the off the hand of someone else's slave. Now, if you cause an injury to someone else, you have to pay the five different items. And here we're mentioning two of them Shibto, the time off from work. Um, right, he's not going to be able to work for however long. Um, so that work, who, who gets it? Well, the master gets it, right? Well, that makes sense because the master owns the handiwork of his servant. So he will, he, he, he's the one that gets paid for the loss of the servant's work. And, and the uh, medical expenses also goes to the master um, because the master is going to have to pay for the medical expenses.
Now, um, and that Eved, what is he going to do now that he's not working for that time? He has to go find charity. The master is not responsible to feed his slave. Look at that. We see from here that a master can tell the slave, you have to work for me and I'm not feeding you. How do you prove that from this case? Well, the master is not feeding him. Right, because he has to go to Sedakah. And the work, um, uh, 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 the, the work, well, the master gets the replacement for work, right? He's, the master gets his uh, disability benefits. Um, and uh, so that is equivalent to the, to the slave's work, right? If it was an exchange, then the slave could say, listen, here, you take your, uh, you take the payment for not working and feed yourself. No, but the master can keep both. He can keep the disability benefits and the medical benefits, and the slave has to go find food on his own. So we see from here that in a regular case where the slave is healthy, also the master can say, I get your earnings and you go find food by yourself. Okay, um, now, so that's, that's, that's the conclusion according to Rabbi Yochanan, right? And once again, here, it still not, might, it might not be prudent for a master to do so because then he has to go and spend all day looking for food and won't be as productive. I mean, it doesn't make sense. It's not going to make for a good, uh, good business relationship besides a personal relationship and being nice and all that. But from the letter of the law, one can do this. All this talking about Evid Kanaani. Okay, now we're just going to analyze uh, this statement of Rabbi Yochanan. So what are we talking about here? Uh, maybe it's where he actually does give him mezonot, and therefore there is no proof that Rabbi Yochanan thinks that a, um, a, a master can withhold food. Maybe it's talking about he's giving him food. Wait a second, if he's giving him food, then why does it say Nizon Mizn Hastaka that he has to go and find food, for, he has to get food from charity? Oh, we answered Lahadafa, that's for extra. The master is giving him baseline 800 calories. He's a little hungry, he wants an extra dessert. So he has to go get that from Sedakah. And so maybe actually there's no proof from here, but no, we reject it and we say there is a proof. Why does it say uh, he gets Nizon Minas Sedakah? Nizon means basic sustenance. Right? should have said Mit Panes if it's talking about extra food, um, you know, provide for, but Nizon is basic food. Rather, the bottom line conclusion is, according to the Yochanan, yes, a master can, in fact, withhold food and still um, keep the rights to the slave's earnings. All right, that is the conclusion. And now, one more point of uh, clarification about Rabbi Yochanan's statement. Amar mor, noten shibto urfuato lerabo. Shibto peshita. Peshita. Refuato isterichale. So he says the, the, uh, the, the uh, loss of livelihood, disability benefits, goes to the master. Um, and the medical benefits also goes to the master. Now, disability benefits, that's obvious. The master owns the handiwork of his slave. So, of course, he would get it. So why even need why bother mentioning it? Uh, because actually you're right, Rabbi Yochanan didn't have to, but he did want to tell you about the medical benefits. That's a chidush. And so since he was talking about medical benefits, he talked about both together because these always go always go together. Right? So he mentioned shibto even though there's no chidush there. Okay, now we ask about that itself. Wait a second, the medical benefits 
belong to the slave because the slave needs it to be healed with, right? So how, how could the, the master keep the medical benefits? And the answer is la sericha de amduhu lehamsha yome ve abdula sama harifa vitase betlata yome mahodetema saradidehu kamashmalan. We need this clause um, for the following case. Let's say the doctors come and say, listen, he's going to need this medical treatment that's going to last five days. It's going to have, you know, moderate pain for five days. But in the end, the doctors decided. Uh, that they're going to make a very strong medicine that will work in three days, but the pain level will be higher. Um, and so now the, the, the cost of the medical uh, um, uh, hospitalization is only three days instead of five days. So who's going to keep the extra? The master keeps the extra two days, right? I mean, uh, you know, if there's a set medical uh, cost, and it really doesn't matter if you're giving it to the master or giving it straight to the doctor, the master is not, uh, is not getting any benefit because he has to pay for the medical costs. But here's a case where the medical costs are actually end up being lower than they would have been or should have been. So the master gets the normal amount. Now, who suffers literally because of this? The slave, because the slave has to endure more pain because he's getting the stronger medicine. Now, I would have thought, maybe the cost of the pain, right? That's another one of the five costs. How much, how much is that pain worth? Uh, so the cost of the pain should go to the slave. No, Rabbi Yochanan says, even the cost of the pain goes to the master. The master owns all of the uh, products, even the byproducts of an injury that happened to the slave. And therefore, that's what Rabbi Yochanan is teaching us. The medical benefits go to the master. If it's a normal procedure, so then he'll have to pay the doctor. But if there's a way to reduce the medical cost and instead have more pain, then the master keeps both all the entire medical cost and the extra pain that the servant suffered also goes to the master. So, you know, these details like this show you how uh, how the extent to which uh, slavery was uh, really uh, treating people like objects, like animals. And so um, we're thankful that we have these laws to, on the books to remember how terrible slavery was. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen v'amen.